Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Recently, President Biden stunned the nation by admitting that, quote, there is no federal solution to COVID, unquote. My guest today would argue that there certainly could be a federal solution to COVID because he alone has treated 4,000 COVID patients without losing even one. Dr. Syed Haider has been an internal medicine hospitalist or doctor who diagnoses and treats patients in a hospital setting for 10 years. He's also trained in functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, and Chinese medicine. Since December 2020, Dr. Hader has focused entirely on preventing and treating COVID-19. He was the first physician in the US to widely use the antidepressant fluvoxamine to treat COVID patients with great success. He is also working to get prevention and early COVID treatment kits out to as many people as possible. Welcome, Dr. Hader. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You started this journey with getting COVID yourself. I did, that. yeah. I, had, I was working in a long-term acute care hospital. It's basically a hospital for patients who, can't, who still need a hospital when they're ready for discharge. They've been in, a, in an acute hospital setting for maybe a month, and they need to go somewhere else for a few more months. So I was working in a hospital like that um, at the beginning of the pandemic. It was, I think, February of 2021. And I went back home and I brought COVID with me. Um, I was the only one who was really affected. I think my wife might have had very, very mild symptoms, but I had, um, you know, I was pretty sick. You know, it was a pretty bad flu-like sim- uh, syndrome for me that lasted for maybe a week. But the, the worst part of it for me was really the long COVID. And I, I didn't even know what it was because we, we didn't know anything about COVID at that point. We didn't know that there was such a thing as long COVID. So what I experienced was, you know, loss of taste and smell that, that lasted for maybe a couple of months. Um, and then beyond, I, I mean, obviously I knew that was from the COVID, but what I didn't know was that I started developing anxiety. I had trouble sleeping. Uh, my heart would start racing and pounding when I lay, lay down at night. And I just thought, you know, I'm getting anxious. You know, I'm getting older. I don't know what's going on. Um, so those things we'd later discovered were due to long COVID. So I just kind of struggled through it. And I think it took about a year, probably maybe a little over a year for all the symptoms to be completely gone. Um, so, so I had a pretty mild, yeah, yeah. And some people I know have had it for a year and a half. I mean, some people have had it since the very beginning and it's still not gone. Um, and for some people it's really life changing. So my, my symptoms were, you know, they were manageable. I could deal with it. Um, you know, they were annoying. It was a little bit harder to sleep, but I, you know, I could survive. Did you have problems, chest problems? I myself did not have chest problems. Um, some people do get chest pain or shortness of breath, especially fatigue, like terrible fatigue. Some people get, and also terrible brain fog is another, um, important symptom of long COVID. So it's, it's very similar to chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, with some, you know, important differences. There's a lot of POTS involved, P-O-T-S, capital P-O-T-S. Like when you stand up and. And, yeah, and your heart dizzy. races or your, yeah, you get dizzy and your heart races. Also, um, there, there's a big element for a lot of people of like an allergic kind of syndrome. What do you mean allergic um, syndrome? Like what is so, it, how so does it be, express? Becoming, yeah, becoming allergic to things that you weren't allergic to before. So it's something that's treatable with antihistamines. So you'll find that you may be allergic to a lot of foods that you had no allergies to before. Uh, maybe chronic rhinitis or runny nose, um, chronic allergy symptoms. 
those wow so you were not vaccinated right when you got the covid or were you no i mean this was very early this was before vaccines were even available um i've always been a bit you know hesitant to actually use western medicine i mean i'm trained in western medicine and that's what i do primarily i mean i have studied functional and chinese medicine but it's not really a big part of my practice my, my practice is primarily chronic you know diseases and, and western medicine approaches to them um but i found you know the more that i worked with chronic patients um and like you know when you work as a hospitalist you're working with people who have chronic diseases but they're there for an acute reason so they're you're not actually dealing with their chronic issues so much as dealing with like the pneumonia or the you know diabetes being out of control or something that's led them to be in the hospital you know in an acute situation and that's you know for maybe a few weeks and you get them all you know fixed up and send them back to their primary care doctor um, but what i found the longer i worked in you know hospital systems was that the treatments were giving patients for chronic diseases don't really help them. You know, it, it doesn't really change the underlying problem, doesn't get to the root cause. Um, so it's, uh, it's very unsatisfying. Yeah, right, it's to, to treating be a as opposed to healing. Absolutely. Uh, and kind of stringing people along, right? So a lot of times That's where you're the just money managing... Is. Yeah, that's definitely where the money is. And, and you want to, if you want to understand any complex system, you look at what the incentives are, especially when it deals with human beings, you have to look at what the incentives are for the humans that are acting in that complex system. And our incentives are all out of whack, right? They're, they're all upside down. When you got this COVID, you're going, okay, how am I going to treat myself? Right? So what did you do? Yeah, I Did mean, you just treat yourself I, I, symptomatically? Yeah, I really I didn't do anything. I just slept it off. Um, you know, I did. I wasn't too concerned about COVID in the beginning. Um, in the first few months of it, I was kind of. I just wrote it off as you know, this is not a big deal. It's just a virus. It's a you know, it's a coronavirus. It'll go through the population. Everyone will get it. You know, some people might die from it, but you know, I didn't think of myself as a high risk patient. And, and this is one of the you know, drawbacks to the mainstream narrative that they, they do heavily focus on people ending up in the hospital and dying, right? Most yes, people, of course. Right. So, so that, you know, I guess, you know, amps gets up views the fear and it, factor. Yeah, yeah. Amps up the fear for sure. Makes you want to um, run and get a vaccine. Yeah. So it's not surprising that, you know, 99% of people over the age of 65 all around the world, in, in Western countries at least, um, are vaccinated. In most Western countries, 99% of patients over 65 have at least one shot. So, so most people over 65, you know, were quite concerned with the, you know, the fear pandemic that was spread by everyone. Um, but it, uh, they, no one really focused on long COVID. And I actually see long COVID happening primarily in patients between the ages of 30 and 55. So I, I don't really see it younger than that. And I don't even that? see it in older patients yeah it, why is it in that strip of uh, that demographic strip do you so, so we're not 100 percent sure yet but one of the triggers for long covid seems to be exercise so that age group is and it's often people who are the healthiest and who exercise the most that'll actually end up triggering a long covid you know syndrome so so that's one of the reasons it's probably in that age group because they tend to exercise more um the, the younger age group for some reason you know obviously they may exercise even more than people who are above 30 um but for some reason there i think their innate immune system usually deals with COVID a lot better. So the younger you are, the stronger the innate immunity is. Um, and it's a nonspecific immunity that's really a sterilizing immunity. It just com it completely kills the virus and it doesn't even allow you to be infected in many cases. That, so that's what children have, right? That they have this incredible innate immune system, which is why they don't 
they're not the untouched by vaccines and whatever, or too many of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there is some data, you know, showing that when you get vaccinated, it disrupts your innate immune system, and and that's a big concern for children who really don't need vaccines, right? They they don't need them in. It for any reason, right? That they're not primary spreaders. They're not the super spreaders. They're not the, the portion of our population that's really spreading it because they act kind of like COVID sinks. COVID hits them and they just soak it up and they, they don't spread it, right? They kill it on contact and it doesn't infect them. And that's their innate immune system taking care of it. So they're like these sponges for COVID. They just soak it up and they don't spread it to anyone else and they kill it and, and it's gone. So, so we're getting rid of this portion of our, you know, by, you know, trying to vaccinate children above the age of five, you know, five to 18. Um, the, the fact that we're rolling out vaccines to them and heavily, you know, targeting them for vaccinations, you know, running these, you know, ads, you know, telling them that they're superheroes because they're getting vaccinated. Uh, you know, these kids, a lot of them want to get vaccinated anyway because all their friends are getting vaccinated and they want to go back to school and they want to, they don't, they don't want to be weird. You know, the odd one out who's not getting vaccinated. Um, so, so it's quite unfortunate because they, they really don't need it and they're actually protective for a population at large. You know, they're, they're kind of like- Well, I also in. wonder what it's gonna do to their um, immune system. Yeah. So, so, you know, people like the pathologist, Dr. Ryan Cole, he's spoken out the, the, about the fact that he's seeing more cancers in patients who have been vaccinated. Um, you know, there are many, many VAERS reports that are extremely concerning, right? And, and VAERS, you know, it's a system that's underreported. Right, yes, chronically, right and, and it's, it's always underreported. I mean, that's just the, you have to assume that it's underreported. And the CDC would have us believe that it's being overreported, that none of them are due to the vaccine, right? None of these reports are due to the vaccine and it's vastly overreported. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I know everyone is afraid of reporting, first of all, you know, most people have never heard of bears. I had never heard of bears before this, right? And maybe oh, yeah. that's that that might make sense because I was working in hospitals. I wasn't really vaccinating my patients, so maybe you know outpatient doctors are more familiar with it. But I ask a lot of people they had never heard of bears before this pandemic. So 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 many people didn't even wow. know that it existed, right? Yeah. Um, and again, it gets back to the incentives. There, there's no incentive to that to to report to spend 30 minutes on one report to bears. I mean, Steve Kirsch he um, he bankrolled the fluvox trials and he recently sent out an email to all his subscribers saying that he personally knows a doctor in California who has 20,000 adverse event reports that they have not uploaded to bears. Okay. And you can imagine if it takes 20 to 30 minutes per report, I mean, they would have to hire a team to just work around the clock to, to just report those to bears. And that's just one person, you know, that's like, you know, obviously, I oh mean, my God. who knows what to make of that, but you know, I know that people, not only do they, you know, does it just take too long, but they're, you know, there's actually a negative incentive to reporting because, you know, people, your your hospital administration, I mean, no one wants you to say anything negative about vaccines. I mean, it's just insane. So, you know, the American Medical Association emailed me and every other physician in America telling us that our license would be at risk if we spoke anything negative about vaccines, that you better think twice, you know, basically, you know, between the lines, that's what they're saying. Think twice before you say any, before you spread misinformation about the vaccines. And misinformation is whatever, whatever we want to label it, right? Like if you're not speaking, you know, the party line, this is basically what it's become. You know, you have to like toe the party line, and if and and it's not as if they always get it right. right? I mean, they, they've demonstrably been wrong over and over again, right? So well, they, more than demonstrably, it's almost as if it's uh, <clears throat> willfully. But yes, um, 
I, I just, I'm very curious about this uh, fluvoxamine. First of all, I, cause I thought, I thought, oh, because you had the long COVID symptom of anxiety and so on, he decided to try it and he realized that this was great for his, his long COVID. Is that what happened? Is that, that, that that's, assumption? Yeah, that's, that's not what happened. I, I oh, actually, okay. you know, I, I tend to more towards kind of alternative medicine for myself, you know, right. and I try, I try to lead my own patients that way. It's just so many people aren't interested in it. So I, I actually went to a great Chinese medical doctor and got some herbs and some acupuncture and it took care of a lot of my symptoms. It got rid of the anxiety and the sleep problems for me. So but it, got, um, it got rid of the long COVID? Yeah, but I mean, almost completely. I mean, there were some lingering things that there were some things like my, like when I was sleeping at night, my arms would get numb, like my, my fingers, um, my, so like my, uh, my pinkies on both sides, if I bent my arms, I would have to straighten them. And this is something that happens to people. Sometimes as they get older, the, the nerve is kind of bent and, and it's kind of almost like hitting your funny bone. Um, so, so that was another symptom of long COVID. And, and it's actually kind of a common symptom that I hear from a lot of people. So that lingered a little bit longer, but you know, uh, you know, none of my symptoms were really bad enough for me to really try to go and figure out what was going on or try to, you know, get treatment aside from acupuncture and some herbs. Um, and I had always been very kind of negative about SSRIs and antidepressants like fluvoxamine and Prozac, which is very similar to fluvoxamine and also works. Um, so the first I heard of it was probably in December maybe or January. And this was after I had already treated most of my symptoms. And uh, it was actually a patient of mine who um, gave me the heads up about fluvoxamine. And she said, you know, there've been some studies and you should look at it. And I, I just had such a negative, you know, idea about SSRIs that, and I think like a lot of people, a lot of my patients have this just, you know, it's like a, it's an antidepressant. It's a psychiatric drug. I don't even want to consider taking it. And, and a lot of people come and say that to me, right? right. Um, you know, people don't want to mess with their brain chemicals. You know, they don't want to, you know, people to like, you know, think that they have a, a depression problem. They don't want it to be in their record that they took this medication. Um, I mean, some people like pilots can't take it actually and fly. Like they're, they're basically not allowed to take this drug and fly um, because it's assumed that they have some kind of mental issue. Um, and, and some, I've had a couple of gun owners telling me, you know, I, I would this, you know, affect my ability to own a gun? Would, the, would this be reported to somebody? And I told them, no, not at all. Um, that, that's not the case. But what but, is it about the drug? Yeah, that, that works on COVID, so, long COVID. So it's an anti-inflammatory effect, right? So there's two. There's a couple of phase, there's two phases of COVID. The first phase is the viral replication phase, and you really got to hit it in the first few days if you want to make have an antiviral effect. If you want to use an antiviral, like ivermectin has antiviral effects. If you want, if you want that antiviral effect to kick in, you have to get to the infection in the first two to three days, maybe four or five days max. Um, but really, the earlier the better, um, because it's already been multiplying in your body for days before you have the first symptoms. So you're really kind of at the tail end of the viral replication phase. If you miss that phase, then it kicks up a lot of inflammation in your body. So what it does is it, it triggers, one of the ways it does that is it triggers platelets to release serotonin, which is that neurochemical oh, that, yeah. that fluvoxamine actually works on. So, so it triggers platelets to dump serotonin into your bloodstream. So platelets are these little cells, not really cells, but they're you know, little um, kind of cell fragments that travel inside your blood vessels that help you to clot. Um, but they are also stores of, fluvo for, of serotonin and, and the COVID virus will cause them to dump their serotonin stores into the bloodstream and cause terrible inflammation in the blood vessels. So, so the inflammation really starts in your microvasculature and your, and your blood vessels everywhere. And it goes everywhere in your body. You know, your blood vessels go everywhere to every organ, um, to your brain, to your lungs, to your heart, everywhere, every single organ. Uh, so it creates terrible inflammation. 
And, and fluvoxamine actually prevents the serotonin from being released by the platelets. So if you can get it you know, early enough, you'll actually just sh cut short that whole route of inflammation from happening. It also works in a different way. For, it's, it also has another anti-inflammatory effect. Um, it acts on what's called the sigma-1 receptor, which is another inflammatory receptor. And this is, so there's certain routes that COVID takes to cause certain kinds of inflammation in your body. Um, other parts of that inflammatory cascade that are specifically triggered by COVID are dealt with by ivermectin, for example, you know, um, you know, it, it prevents the rise in interleukins that, um, and so that's one of the effects that ivermectin has. It'll lower your interleukin six levels and, and other interleukin levels. So those are also markers of inflammation. What does interleukin do in your body? It's one of the inflammatory markers. So there's a lot okay. of different inflammatory markers and it, it's something that you know shows you that you have inflammation going on in your body. So this is one of the reasons why steroids work so well because the, of the second inflammatory phase of COVID. The issue with steroids though, is that they're not targeted, right? So they're, they're kind of like dropping an atomic bomb on a city and just wiping out everyone, right? Not just the enemy, but your friends and your family and everyone. Um, so, so that's, you know, you get rid of the enemy, but you have to rebuild, right? So right. they, steroids in your body, they'll, they'll suppress the inflammation of, that COVID is causing, but they'll also suppress kind of everything, all the, the entire immune system itself. So the immune system works by causing inflammation. So, th so there is some good inflammation. There's some bad inflammation. You just don't want to get it to get out of control. But the problem with steroids is that they just, they just, put a damper on all the inflammation and dampen your entire immune response. So you may actually have a problem. You may make it through the acute phase better. And a lot of people, you know, they'll have this experience where they have a sore throat or they'll have, you know, a cough or something and they take steroids and they feel better immediately. Right? right. And all it's really doing is suppressing the body's attack response to the infection. It's not actually killing the infection or, or damping, you know, the infection itself. It's dampening your response to the infection. So the symptoms are your body responding to an infection and it'll, it'll dampen the symptoms, but it could actually so make the, the infection itself may take worse. longer to get better. Yeah. It, it'll, well, because it's not being addressed. It's just, it's it'll not just being addressed. Worse. Yeah. So, and I'm especially worried about long COVID and people who take steroids early on. I mean, if you need them, if you're in a hospital, if, you're, if your life is at risk or something, you know, if you're seeing that your doctrine is cratering, you know, it's plummeting, you know, sometimes obviously you do need steroids. I, I haven't found them really necessary for most people as an outpatient if you start treating in the first week. Um, th there's another medication, ciproheptidine, that works really well when your oxygen starts to drop and when you start to get worse. If you miss the boat on treating in the first week, that works really well. And again, it's more targeted, you know, than, than steroids. And, and the way ciproheptidine actually works is that it'll block. So say you miss that the, the phase where the platelets are releasing the serotonin. You didn't take fluvoxamine. The platelets dump, dump the serotonin into the bloodstream. It's everywhere in your body causing inflammation. So that's the blocks. cytokine storm that everybody talks about. Yeah, it's one of the triggers for the cytokine storm. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so ciproheptidine, the way that works is it blocks uh, the serotonin from attaching to the receptors in your body. So even if it's been dumped out of the platelets and it's floating around everywhere, it won't attach to the receptors if you take ciproheptidine. So, so that's why ciproheptidine works so well if you miss the boat on that, that first Does phase. that have so any side effects? It's got primarily fatigue and dry mouth. Um, other, oh. you know, it's, it's, a, it's also an antihistamine, so it kind of makes you drowsy the way Benadryl does. Um, it might dry up your nose and dry up your mucous membranes the same way Benadryl does. Um, but, but those are the main, that's really all I've seen is fatigue and, and sometimes you get very drowsy. So, you know, that's a concern if you're already super tired and super kind of like out of it and sleepy. And, um, you know, some people who have bad lungs to begin with, if they get 
too drowsy, they may not be breathing properly. So, you know, you do have to be a bit careful with it and, and keep an eye on people who are taking it. Um, but I, I've had great success with it. I mean, some people can tell they'll start feeling better within hours. And, and you hear this a lot of times. I mean, you can't always predict which one drug will really work for each person. Um, so that's why we like to give a cocktail of drugs. You know, sometimes people will tell me that, you know, within like minute, within maybe 30 minutes to an hour of taking ivermectin, I felt better. I could tell that it was working and then I could feel it like wearing off. And, and then I tell them, yeah, if you feel it wearing off, you know, later in the day, you can take another dose. You know, it, it's, it's got a really wide window. It's amazing. Um, it's, it's almost, I, I just feel like it's almost criminal not to make this part of national it's, policy. I mean, we, we have to call it out. It, it's flat out criminal, absolutely criminal. And, um, you know, it, it's it's like almost genocidal, you could say. I mean, what, what we've, we've allowed millions of people around the world to die and millions more will probably die because we're not using safe, you know, effective treatments. And, you know, we're just, it's the corruption, the level of corruption just blows my mind, right? Um, I mean, I have to think the best of most people, um, but but somewhere somebody has to understand, right? And and I just, you know, th there's these, these biases, right? And this regulatory capture of the government by pharmaceutical companies, and, and we've allowed this uh, billion dollar bias, right, of these giant pharmaceutical companies to infect our federal government. And, you know, maybe they honestly, maybe most of them honestly believe that what they're doing is right, but there is this monetary bias that's at the root of it. I have spoken to enough of you physicians, and I'll tell you why I thought, why I'm particularly impressed with what you're doing. I've spoken to enough of you physicians successfully treating COVID patients. I've done it. I've talked to physicians in Europe. I've talked to mm -hmm. a number, you know, physicians here. I talked to some physicians. I, I had some physicians from Africa on. Mm -hmm. And you all say the same things. You talk about the same drugs. You talk yeah. about the same illness process and what to do with each phase. And so it's, your successes are very well documented internationally Absolutely. so when it's biden not... comes out and says yeah the federal government has no solution for covid it's i don't I, I i can't even describe how i feel even though i know that there are a lot of people who for them this is just confirmation that this covid thing is cannot be beaten and that we have to just keep taking those vaccines and those boosters. And I mean, people are going to be jabbed to the, till the ends of their lives now. With I, When you go into the pharmacy, okay, my local Rite Aid here, I go into my local Rite Aid, take your flu shot, take your COVID shot, take your HPV shot. I mean, it's just... And, 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 I mean, why, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they be pushing vaccines for every possible thing that you can imagine? Because, you know, they have no liability for them, right? Like, it's the perfect product. You know, it becomes mandated for a lot of people. You know, people are forced to take it and there's no liability. Right? Like, what? why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't every pharmaceutical but, company be, you know, rushing to create more and more of these vaccines? For but more I feel more like now is the time, first of all, one of the reasons why I think you're so such a criti critically important person and guest for this show is because, like like Buckminster Fuller <laughs> has said, when you want to shift the paradigm, 
you don't try and shift the big thing that's there and powerful and mm -hmm. seemingly implacable. Uh, you, you actually create a new paradigm. And I, I think that what you're doing, which is your telemedicine, you, you are now a, a telemedicine physician for COVID patients. So anybody anywhere in the world can go to your website, which is um, yeah, what, it's my, my go to doc, my go to doc, -O -O -doc yeah. dot com, dot com, and they can be treated by you for their COVID and they can get, and this is, this is something that I personally experienced with um, my husband who, um, because this is full disclosure, I've, I've not disclosed this before, but we are not, my husband and I are not vaccinated. And a lot of it is because of the reporting that, that I've done, uh, the people that I've spoken to on the show. And so he, he was getting frantic. He said, well, what do we do if we get COVID? What do we do if we get COVID? And indeed, at one point, my daughter got COVID and I called Dr. Peter McCullough and he told me what to give her. And she was fine. She took uh, these supplements because she was in the very early stages, vitamin D, uh, B, quercetin, zinc. And so he says, you've got to get me somebody who can treat us or give us, get us these treatments. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I do know McCullough. I can call him. And then I saw you <laughs> and I thought, this is it. This guy is onto something. Yeah, the, the the most important thing is that, you know, you really don't want to be, you know, going through your Rolodex trying to find a doctor once you get sick. This is the wrong time to do it. You got to You got to get the treatments into your medicine cabinet. And this is, I think, a misconception a lot of people have. They think that I need to be sick before I go and find a doctor um, and I need to tell them all my symptoms and everything. You know, I treated a lot of people that way. I treated 4,000 people that way. And what I discovered was it doesn't no matter what symptoms you tell me, like 99% of the time, it doesn't change what I'm going to give you, especially on day one. It never changes it. I know what you're going to get on day one. If you start having symptoms and you start treating on day one, I can predict what I'm going to give you just based on your past medical history, your medications and your allergies, right? I know what I'm going to give you on day one of a COVID infection. It's only later on in like the second week, if things go downhill, if you miss, you know, if you miss early treatment or you take it and it doesn't work, or, you know, something like that, um, that you might have to start adding other medications. Um, so people can get a kit and put it in their medicine cabinet and, and get all the directions. That's the important thing. And ask all your questions beforehand. So I'll write a prescription for all the medications that you need. I'll, I'll give you, you know, guidance on all the over-the-counter things you need to get and put, you know, and start taking actually as prevention. You know, you, you should be taking vitamin D and zinc and, you know, a lot of vitamin, quercetin and, and some other vitamins, vitamin C, you should just be taking them on an ongoing basis to boost your immune system and, and then have some, you know, prescriptions on hand. You have to go and get them from the pharmacy. For ivermectin, we, we actually have to mail order it for most people in the U.S. nowadays because all of the local pharmacies, the chain pharmacies like CVS, Walmart, Walgreens, um, they're, they're not dispensing it anymore. I mean, they have like... Like, you know, commands from on high that the pharmacists are not, not allowed to dispense ivermectin anymore. And, and we saw the same thing with hydroxychloroquine. You know, there was this, you know, movement yeah. against hydroxychloroquine and now it's come to ivermectin. If I wanted to get a prescription for ivermectin, I could get it from you? Exactly. Yes. And, and you, do you think that everybody 
should have ivermectin in their closet as a as a yeah you know I, I think it's important for most people right so even if you're low risk for hospitalization and death right say you're you know 20 to you know 60 you don't really and you, even if you're in good shape and you're good health you know you're not overweight nothing there, there's really no medical problems you still have to worry especially if you're 30 to 55 you need to be concerned about the possibility of long covid and it can be it can really be life changing i've had people come to me and tell me they can't work like they literally cannot work anymore um, and it can be extremely severe, right? And it can last for a really long time. And some people may never get over it, right? Like the post-viral syndromes have been around, you know, for decades, we've known about them. They happen after the flu, they happen after Epstein-Barr virus, they happen, you know, after a lot of other viruses as well. And people are familiar with them and, and we do see them. And, and some people have them for years and years, right? So like chronic fatigue is sometimes triggered by Epstein-Barr and, and people will have it for, many years sometimes, you know, a decade or longer. And, uh, and some people have it for two years, but, but, you know, you don't want to be extremely fatigued for two years. Right. I mean, it's just, it throws a wrench in your life. And ivermectin um, deals, it deals with the COVID early on so that you don't have. That's what you COVID. need to do. Yeah. So, so I'm glad we got back around to this. So you want to treat COVID, you know, even if you're relatively low risk to prevent long COVID from happening. And the other important thing is if you are one of these people who's really active, when you get COVID starting from day one of symptoms, you want to wait at least 30 days before you start to exercise again. That's even if you feel 100% back to normal within a few days or a week or two weeks, you still don't want to exercise. And the reason is that what we've found is that people, they have the spike protein in their body still, even once they feel 100% back to normal. And when you exercise, it can trigger this inflammation due to that spike protein being in your body. So you want to give your immune system at least a month to yeah, flush out flush. What if you don't? know exactly when you got it and when you got over it. Yeah. I mean, so you're going to have to kind of like wing it in that case. Um, so if you suspect that you got it, you know, wait 30 days after that, you, you can go and get antibody testing. You know, you can get T cell testing to see, maybe give yourself some proof that you had it and now you're immune. I mean, it can, unfortunately it can take about 30 days for antibody to show up. Um, you know, so I think if you if you have no symptoms at all, right? Like if you have right. an asymptomatic infection, that's I, I'm not too worried about those people. They don't generally end up with long COVID. I haven't so far. I haven't seen anyone who had like an asymptomatic infection um, end up with long COVID. So everyone had some kind of viral syndrome, you know, something that looked like a flu type of syndrome, and then they got the long COVID. So I mean, it's okay. I, I so don't, if you get long it. COVID, I mean, you talk to me. You can talk to me about the Chinese medicine. Talk to me about uh, the allopathic medicines. What do you do? I, what would you suggest? Either whether it's Chinese or allopathic, I don't care. What do you tell people to so, take? So for, for any chronic you know, disease, lifestyle change is one of the most you know, um, transformative things you can do and one of the most effective things you can do. You know, deep, lasting lifestyle change. So, you know... What that means from a functional medicine perspective is you need to um, get rid of inflammatory foods from your diet. 
And oftentimes, if you have chronic illness, you're oftentimes going to need to get a lot, get rid of a lot of grains, get rid of the, you know, inflammatory seed, vegetable seed oils from your diet. And that's just kind of like the basics, but th there's a lot more to it. And it depends on which foods might trigger your symptoms. You know, some people, when they have chronic disease, they become sensitive to dairy or nuts or, you know, other th things, eggs, things that, you know, commonly cause problems. Sugar certainly has to go, you know, yeah. white and anything white yeah, usually sour. has to yeah. go. Yeah. Um, um, so, so the inflammatory, you want to be on an anti-inflammatory diet. Sometimes with long COVID, you need to be on a low histamine diet also. So anti-inflammatory plus low histamine, which basically what that means is some foods have histamine in them and they trigger your symptoms when you eat them. Like strawberries is one thing that sticks in my mind as very high in histamine. Uh, dairy also has a lot of histamine in it. Um, some kinds of canned fish, I think may have a lot of histamine as well. So you just got to look it up. There's lists of high histamine foods, um, you know, proper exercise, you know, walking, sun exposure is really important you know, we become, a, a lot of us have become afraid of the sun, you know, afraid of like skin cancer or getting burned, um, you know, depending on the lightness of your skin, you know, how much melanin you have in your skin, you can figure out how long, you know, is a healthy time to be in the sun. You know, the sun is something that is important for making vitamin D. And it's, it's actually also important for boosting your immunity in ways outside of vitamin D. Vitamin D itself boosts your immunity, but there's other immune boosting, you know, chemicals that come from sun exposure. Um, so, so sun exposure, you know, every day, not enough to get like pink or even start getting burned, but you have to like do like, you know, you figure out how long it would take you to start getting pink and do less than that. Right? Yeah. So for some yeah. people, it's just 15 minutes a day in the sun is enough for other people. It might be an hour. Um, you know, walking is great exercise. You need to look at your personal relationships are really important. So you have to have good, healthy, you know, personal relationships and they have to be, you know, you have to have close family ties and close friendship ties. And this is a really important part of, you know, immunity and just, you know, general well-being and health as well. So, so chronic disease comes from inflammation. So all these things lead, you know, can cause inflammation if they're out of whack. If you're, if you don't have your, you know, good close social relationships in place that will trigger chronic inflammation and disease. You got to sleep well, you know, you got to fix your sleep. Most people would do best, you know, six to eight hours somewhere in there. So you just need to wake up feeling fully refreshed, right? You need to go and, and it works best if you go to sleep at the same time and wake up at the same time every day. And, and it might change slightly with the seasons, you know, um, but but the timing has to be pretty much the same day to day. And then there may be some shift overall season to season. And, and most people do probably need at least a 15 minute nap in the afternoon to kind of like reset and, and just kind of, it's really? kind of this downtime. Yeah. It's, it's a downtime. Like it's your cortisol levels kind of crater and, and plummet. And then, so it's, it's kind of this halfway point of the day that it's just natural for human. Yeah, beings I know to that take the, your nap. energy dips a little bit. It dips. And, yeah. and that's the time that you want to go to sleep when you feel your energy dipping, um, that's the sign, that's the signal that, hey, it's time to take a short nap. And it, it can be just a power nap. It can be five, 15 minutes. And, and sometimes you don't even have to fall asleep, but you do have to get flat on your back and lay down. That just changes your physiology. And, and so you know, even if you don't fall asleep, you'll get up feeling super refreshed after just 15 minutes of lying down with your eyes closed. You know, you just gotta, and eventually you will learn to fall asleep even for 15 minutes. You can set an alarm, you know, if you need to get back up. If you, live, you work in an office, just 
get down on the ground, <laughs> take a 15 minute nap. Um, I would encourage that highly. Um, deal with anxiety and stress. So this is really important in our culture, you know, and in, in our modern day culture, there's, there's stress in everyone's life, right? You can't ignore yes. it. There's good stress, there's bad stress, there's always gonna be stress. And so you have to have a stress management routine that's there every day. So some people don't feel stressed, but there is stress on your body, <laughs> okay? Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. there's stress well, on your brain, Some people are so used heart. to being, living in a stress, stressful situation right. that they don't even realize that they're in constant stress until, you know, <clears throat> for example, a lot of teachers talk about how when the school year is out, uh, the first week after school, they go into this deep depression, this deep funk, because their adrenaline levels are are going down. Yeah, I, I also think you know this is this is a really important point that children kind of boost the mood and the immunity of people who are older. So there, oh. this energy from children being around children has Itchy. this boosting effect. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah kid chi. So, um, yeah, so this is something that we've lost, you know, touch with in our society. I, I remember when I was in residency, I think it was residency, maybe just after residency, I met these, this 90 year old couple. Okay. And, and they were Caucasian and generally Caucasians, like when I meet, um, really elderly, healthy, um, African-Americans, um, they oftentimes have really good skin, but Caucasians, their skin doesn't always hold up as well as they get older, even if they're relatively healthy, you know, they tend to get more wrinkles than people who have you know dark skin but this this caucasian couple had like perfect looking skin and they were in their 90s and they were full of energy and i was just like amazed at how healthy they looked right and and it turned out that their children had died and they had to raise their grandchildren right and so these grandkids were still in their teens and when these when this couple was seeing me in their 90s um and, and they weren't in the hospital they weren't sick i think they were visiting somebody else who was sick but um yeah i it just you know, you know i took that to mean that you know that those children kept them kept them young i keep trying to tell my kids this because there's something in the in the american culture because i was reared in haiti and in haiti when you went over to somebody's house, the grandma lived there, you know, all the old people lived there along with the kids. And, and some of the, a lot of, some of the people had like uh, compounds, family compounds, you know, yeah. everybody lived mm -hmm. close together and very tribal, very tribal. Um, like my, my sister, she married into a Middle Eastern family mm -hmm. uh, of merchants down there and very, very tribal. I mean, always together very and and yeah and i keep telling my kids we need to do that too when you have the grandkids everybody we're going to have to get a huge place we're going to have a everybody right because it is i i believe in that i think i think the 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 lack of in in french it's called chaleur humaine you know human warmth or whatever yeah. and there's a vitality to children yeah. and so on and to to the interactions with the members of the family but in the united states it's like oh yeah you're, you're, you're 1921, you know, go off to the other ends of the earth and make your, make your life. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody has to be cleaved to their parents forever, but I, I don't know. I think that there's something about that whole, what, what you're just describing. Yeah, and, and, and it benefits, it benefits everyone, right? It's not just the elderly who benefit from being around the children, but the children also benefit from being around their grandparents. And and the reason is that parents tend to be a little bit more strict and kind of like, you know, disciplinary yes. and, and stuff like that, right? And the grandparents are kind of more laid back, even if they were really strict 
raising when they were raising their children right like right. but the grandparents eventually they're they're more of like you know the kids can go to them and and they're more you know a little bit more like lenient and a little bit more well, you know, so the parents are less exhausted yeah in the united states you have to rear your kids all by yourself i mean i my husband and i yeah. did that and we used to like you know we used to play these tricks on each other all the time like oh hey i gotta go to the grocery store and you, you yeah. you'd leave for an hour instead of the 20 minutes to the grocery because you were so tired yes yeah there was a study done i think in the 70s by some harvard researchers and they were studying a town of i think there were italian americans who tended to have like multi-generational households and they found that comparing them to age match controls other in other parts of the united states they had half the risk of heart disease and this was the only difference difference in this town. I mean, they did everything else wrong. They smoked, they drank, they ate all the well, you know, high fat meat and whatever you could possibly do wrong, they did. There was nothing different about them except for the multi-generational house. If you have th this kind of um, you know, close-knit community, it will boost your immunity and that will help you against COVID. Absolutely. Well, and I, that's, I that's know, one of the I'm... big drawbacks to what we're doing nowadays, right? With these lockdowns and keeping people apart and away from each other. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of knock-on effects to, to the pandemic response. You know, we've really harmed society at a very deep level. You know, and and people are afraid of each other. They're afraid of personal connection. They're afraid of being close. They're afraid of touching. You know, you don't see people's faces anymore. And, and the, a lot of these measures had absolutely, I mean, only negative effects, right? They, they didn't do anything positive. Um, it was really pandemic theater. And, and I understand why it happened. I mean, I think that this is one thing that people need to understand that there's, uh, and this is something I recently learned that a psychologist um, spoke about, that there's this um, thing that happens in large groups of people um, called mass formation. And it, it depends on, how, there have to be certain things in place to allow this to happen. Um, and they include uh, people have to be have to in general in the society there's a there's a lack of social connection and cohesion right so there's a lack of personal relationships and social connectedness um, there's a lack of meaning in people's lives so they feel like you know their lives have no meaning you know maybe because they're not religious or for whatever reason they don't have a job or whatever it is but there's a lack of meaning um, and then there also has to be the kind of widespread free-floating anxiety and th this is something you see in so many people you know I, I see it in almost every elderly patient they're on an anti-anxiety anti drug, right? It's just so common. And, and the anxiety is not linked to anything. So, so the anxiety is constantly looking for something to attach itself to and be like, I'm anxious about that. And you'll, you'll see people who have this kind of chronic anxiety, they'll latch onto something and become anxious about that thing and try to do something about that thing, right? Even if it doesn't make sense. And the fourth you know, prerequisite for mass formation is kind of chronic uh, or also as well as free-floating anxiety, you have to have this free-floating like frustration, right? Like you're just frustrated and you don't know who you're angry at or who you're, what you're frustrated about, but there's this underlying frustration in a lot of people in the culture. And, and when these four things are there and then something like COVID comes along, it, it allows all it these people to it. latch on. It focuses all that anxiety, all that frustration. They, they will do things that are nonsensical, right? Like things that have no data to back them up. They'll wear masks. They'll undergo lockdowns. They'll let their businesses be destroyed. And they'll have people to latch on to for their frustration. All the people who don't follow all those ridiculous rules that aren't working. But, you know, um, so, so this is something that 
you know, apparently 30% of people in the society are susceptible to this, right? And and they're those 30% that you just can't talk to, right? They're just like completely, all, it seems like brainwashed, right? Um, and, and then there's another 30% that are kind of immune to this, you know, maybe they already have meaning, they already have social connection. It doesn't really affect them the same way. They don't become crazy like, the, you know, the other 30%. So that 30%, you know, it's like me and you, they're, they're kind of awake. They understand what's going on and they can still, you know, think clearly and logically about things um, related to the pandemic. And then there's another 40% of people that are kind of on the fence. It depends on what they hear, right? So like right now, the airways are being controlled by the 30% of crazy people, right? And and we need to get that 40% of people. Well, being and, paid by the people making money on yeah, this pandemic. It's, it's unfortunate. You know, yes. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. And, and, but they're not, you know, you, <laughs> Unfortunately, not everybody is going to spend years doing the research to figure out what all the business connections are at the top to understand yeah. what's going on. As a society, we've become very gullible, right? Like, I mean, it's just... Here's what I don't understand. No matter what is being said on TV or, you know, on the radio, get your vaccination, COVID is going to kill you for sure, whatever, whatever. If I were to come down with COVID, my first reaction would be to get on that internet if I hadn't given it a single thought before. Get on that internet and find out who's been treating COVID patients and what have they successfully and what have they done? That's exactly what I would do. And I would call every one of those physicians, talk to them, and then choose one. I mean, when your own butt is on the line, really, do you really care what you know some talking head on tv is telling you why don't you talk to somebody who's actually treating the patient and and that's that's what my whole thrust has been when covering covid i I feel like i'm trying to save lives and i'm knocking down trying to knock down this wall some people are just it's difficult to even talk to them and they'll tell you don't talk to me anymore but the 40 percent of people that you can that will listen to you right and that you might be able to change their mind different things work on those people. So some people are more susceptible to being convinced by like a personal story, like this lady that you, that I know had COVID and she was in a hospital and she had to struggle to get ivermectin. She got it and then she got better. And so they like to hear those kind of personal stories. Some right. people, right. Other people want to hear data. Other people want to hear it from like an expert, somebody who's treated it like me or somebody like, you know, Pierre Corey or Dr. Merrick. And, and there's, and some people just kind of connect better with a certain kind of personality right? So some people might like to hear it from somebody like me. And some people might like to hear it from an older gentleman or a younger gentleman or somebody who's a little bit... Friend who... uh, So so you got it. You you got it. Don't give up on the 40% who who are still on the fence and who... Oh, I'm not. Yeah, obviously you're not. Um, But this is the way that we we fix this, you know, problem is to, first of all, like you said before, have like an alternate system in place, right? Like, so you have doctors who just continue treating, you know, and, and they create this alternate system outside of the regular medical system. And unfortunately, I mean, we may need to start creating our own hospital systems even. I mean, I have do- there's doctors in the US who are thinking of actually buying hospitals and just like, because they don't want to get vaccinated. They want to treat things the way they want to treat them. They want their autonomy, right? Like, uh, you know, a lot of people- Who feel are like these become doctors? A- 
Dr. Naputi, he's he's thinking of actually buying a hospital with a bunch of other physicians. Where so does he work? I think it's Who's... Eric Naputi, N uh, N A P U T E. Maybe it's N E P U T E. Um, yeah, I just met him at a at a conference. What was that? Reawaken America conference tour. Um, I went to the last conference in Dallas or in Frisco, Texas. Um, so they're trying to have conferences. I think every month all around the United States. And um, Peter McCullough, I think, was there. Uh, a lot of these doctors who are treating COVID showed up um, at that conference. And so Eric Naputi, I think his name is Eric Naputi, he was telling me that he was thinking of buying a hospital with some other physicians. Um, I mean, we already do have physicians everywhere all around the country and the world who have private clinics and they're able to practice medicine as they see fit and and not be like automatons for some you know corporate controllers you know they actually have autonomy still and and this is really important physicians need autonomy and this is something that i hope we learn from this pandemic that you can't have physicians being controlled by c-suite executives you know and by corporate you know masters um you, you need physicians to be able to make their own decisions based on what they believe and and this, you know, this is the only way science and medicine will move forward is if we allow differences of opinion to fight it out in a free marketplace of ideas. If you don't have that, science will die. I think there's already been so much capture by big pharma and the um, the government agencies that are in bed with big pharma. Uh, you, when you go to the hospital or anywhere, go see a doctor, generally speaking, they're going to prescribe you pills or whatever that they, you know, that somebody has come by and sold them on for whatever illness or whatever treatment. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting that you were going back to what we had said earlier, what we were discussing earlier, you said there are all these treatments, but nobody's thinking about healing. And, and, and that's the whole thing. I mean, these doctors are not thinking about the fact that they're being, they're being given drugs to treat, treat because you have to keep taking them forever and ever and ever. Yeah, and ever. I, I don't even like to say treat. It's more like manage. It's more you're managing manage. symptoms, okay. right? And and the problem, the biggest problem I see is that when you kind of like step back and go to like a 30,000 foot view of, of medicine, it seems to me that the management that, that we use for chronic conditions, they always seem to get worse. And you always need to increase the doses and add more drugs. You know, yes. I see this with uh, diabetes. I see this with high blood pressure. Um, eventually, people, I'll see people come in towards the end of their life and their blood pressure is entirely, just completely out of control. They're on five, six different medications maxed out and there's nothing else that you can add. There's something I really want you to address. I, I want you to address President Biden directly about, you know, his comment that uh, there is no federal solution to COVID. What would what do you say to that? Uh, you know, the, the worst thing that we did right from the start was not tell everyone to take vitamin D, right? And if not tell everyone to take vitamin D, at least tell everyone to get their vitamin D checked. Every doctor in this country should have called all their patients and said, we need to check your vitamin D and make sure that it, your vitamin D is in the normal range, at least. I mean, you, no one can argue with that, right? Like you should be at least at a normal range. Um, we knew very early on that vitamin D had a huge impact on COVID morbidity and mortality. And we didn't tell the entire world. We should have shouted it from the rooftops. The government, the federal government absolutely should have mandated 
vaccinated, everyone get their vitamin D te tested, or just give everyone vitamin D, right? It should have just been given to everyone, right, freely, um, you know, a certain amount of vitamin D every day. And that would have made a huge impact on the pandemic. And the second thing, I mean, beyond that, obviously, off-label medications, they should have been studied and prescribed as soon as we started seeing these studies. And, and I think they started to do it with hydroxychloroquine. And then there was this huge, you know, negative kind of rush to kind of disprove and discredit hydroxychloroquine. Um, and they, they created fake studies like the Surgisphere study, which was completely fake, published in the Lancet, Lancet and retracted yeah. later. So everyone heard about the fake study and how hydroxychloroquine doesn't work and it's harmful and dangerous, or whatever. And then no one hears about the you know the retraction a few months later that's not highly publicized right that that's in the news cycle for like 30 seconds and disappears um but you know anytime you you find something negative about this super cheap drug that might work for covid that's trumpeted from every rooftop and the entire world hears about it um so even Merck, no. i mean even Merck tried to discredit yeah. ivermectin which yeah. is their product because now that patent is uh, has expired and so it's it's super cheap right. and now they're yeah. coming up with uh, ivermectin 2.0 allegedly uh they're probably right. just going to tweak the uh <laughs> recipe a so, little bit so, so it's i mean it's a different drug and it's a terrible drug actually i think i think molnupiravir is merck's drug um it, it doesn't work as well as paxlovid which is pfizer's drug um it, and it causes you know mutations in the virus itself um and and oh. in human beings um so it's a mutagenic drug and and it's not that effective i mean it's not oh, is this the ivermectin 2.0 that, that yeah, you're it's, just... it's called it's called molnupiravir and and the you know, the ridiculous thing was that they came out with this press release just blatantly lying, saying that there was no data to show that ivermectin worked, nothing to suggest that right, it might work right. for COVID. I mean, it's just an utter lie, right? There's probably 60 plus studies in 20,000 plus patients showing that it works. And there's randomized controlled trials. There's, you know, every level of evidence you could want exists for ivermectin. Um, and then if, you know, a few, literally a few weeks later, they came out with another press release saying that we have this drug in the pipeline to treat COVID-19. So anyone who's like awake, you know, even half awake can understand where the, you know, what the other here. thing is that that is so ugly is that they, you know, they allowed all this stuff to go, all this press on ivermectin being a horse, a horse pill, you know, horse medicine. Yeah. And what's yeah. interesting is the new drug is also a so, horse. So the medicine. way the, the way the way this works, I mean, so many drugs are horse medicines. I mean, yeah, you know, but they're, started, they're, aspirin, you know, yeah. antibiotics are used for horses. All kinds of things are used in horses, right? right. So, I mean, most but they're of them are adapted for humans. I mean, nowadays you have cats. You have cats taking Prozac. Okay, so like, yeah, pretty, pretty much any human drug is being repurposed for our pets nowadays. Um, so, so that's just silly. But you know, the way this works, you really have to, you know, people have to stop being gullible. You know, the pharmaceutical companies have whole departments of people. They just hand reporters, you know, pre, you know, pre-built, you know, handouts saying, okay, just go with this, right? What like about they, all this fabulous press about remdesivir? Yeah, I mean, the World Health Organization doesn't even recommend remdesivir. I mean, I, I just, you know, it's a That's sad That's Fauci's drug of choice, isn't it? Right, yeah. It's it's a sad thing that we recommended it. The data doesn't, you know, support it. It's extremely weak data. Um, and, and it's. I think it's probably harmful for people. And, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, rightly are afraid of it. It causes kidney failure. It, it can, you know, there are deaths associated with it. Um, it's just, it's a terrible drug um, to use 
for COVID, especially when at the point in time that they're using it, you know, it's an antiviral and they're using it primarily after the viral phase, you know, after the viral replication phase, they're using it in hospitalized patients um, later on when what you really need are antiviral you know, anti-inflammatories. You need, if anything, you know, cipriptidine, ivermectin, fluvoxamine, maybe steroids for some people. Um, the same with ventilation, you know, it's, ventilation is harmful to the lungs. So it's always a risk benefit analysis if the person really needs to be put on a vent or not. You know, if it's if it's a life-saving thing, if, if they're just, your oxygen's crashing and, and there's really no other option to get them oxygen, you might need to put them on a vent. But people wouldn't get to that point if they got early treatment. You know, they, all this stuff would be moved it would all be a moot point, right? Like you wouldn't need to worry about, you know, should I put somebody on a ventilator because they're end stage COVID? You wouldn't reach end stage COVID. Um, should I, you know, put somebody on a drug that might kill them in order to save their life, right? Like a lot of people who are giving remdesivir, they realize that it's, you know, it's a pretty bad drug. It, has terrible side effects. Maybe it's killing people, but they think that the person's dying anyway from COVID. We might as well try remdesivir and they won't try something like ivermectin. <laughs> you know, it's like, you have to think the same way about everything, right? Like what's the, what's the harm in ivermectin and what's the possible benefit? Even if you argue that the data is not great, right? Maybe you can like poke some holes in some of the studies and say, they, sh they didn't do this right. Maybe I don't trust that study. I don't trust this study. It was poorly done. Whatever you want to say at the end of the day, it's such a safe drug that the risk benefit analysis is purely is clearly in favor of using it for COVID-19. Let me ask you something. Let's go back to what, what Biden said. He says that there is no solution for COVID. Hmm. If do you agree with that? And if you or do you disagree with that? And explain either way. If you do disagree. What so would you I, say I is the solution for COVID? I think we have to understand where he's coming from, right? So where he's coming from is a paradigm where the only solutions he sees are mandating vaccines and lockdowns. Those are the that that's the paradigm that that he is living within. And so what he's saying is the federal government can't really mandate vaccines for everyone and we can't really mandate lockdowns for everyone because the states have their own authority, right? So that's just the way our constitutional system works. The states have this authority, the federal government can't force them to do all these things, right? So Florida is going one way, South Dakota is going one way, California is going a different direction. Um, everyone's deciding on, on their own and yet we have you know mutual borders and people can go from Florida to Georgia to California um, and spread this thing. So, so that's, that's the mindset that he's coming from and the paradigm that he's coming from and the worldview that he's coming from. And, and he's, he's discounting or just completely ignoring the fact that we have treatments. You know, Ivermectin could end the pandemic within weeks. If everyone in America took Ivermectin for three weeks, there would be no virus left. It wouldn't be able to be transmitted. Right, it just would be over. It would be done with. Um, so, so there are a number of solutions. Right, we could um, do what Sweden did. We could open up everything, but try to keep you know the elderly safe and maybe give them ivermectin and fluvoxamine and good treatments. I mean, there, there's a number of different solutions. It's not really a you know the virus isn't the problem. Right, it's it's the institutions are the problem. We're gonna have to leave it at that. But I'm really grateful that you're out there. And could you again um, tell people how they can reach you 
Yeah, so it's really important. Um, we've done a number of things um, that are different from other people. So if, if you can't afford my fee, my doctor's fee, just ask for a discount or ask us to waive the fee. Um, you can come to my go-to doc, that's M-Y-G-O-T-O-D-O-C.com. Um, one thing different about us is that you can continue asking questions through the chat function on the patient portal indefinitely. Like we're not gonna charge you for questions through the patient portal. Um, and you can also sign up for free. And the, the physician fee is only if I prescribe something. And again, that can be waived if you can't afford it. And the other thing different about us is that we've made an effort to find the cheapest pharmacy sources of ivermectin in, in the United States. So there's some pharmacies that'll charge you like 700 to $1,000. Most of our pharmacies are less than $140 for, for a full course of ivermectin for 14 days even. I mean, I, I give people a 14-day you know, course of acute treatment or 14, you know, um, weeks of preventive treatment of ivermectin where you take it twice a week. Um, so uh, th there should be no excuse, right? Just go and sign up. If you can't figure out how to sign up, then call us at 281-219-7367 and we'll help you kind of walk through the sign up process and try to try to hold your hand with that. Um, but, you know, I think people have to realize that the, the number one responsibility is to yourself. You have to keep yourself healthy and then every other responsibility flows out outward after that, right? So your responsibility to your children, to the rest of the society, to your family, to your job, everything else is secondary. If you're not healthy, you can't take care of your other responsibilities. So, so make sure you stay healthy and get something in your medicine cabinet in case you get sick. Dr. Syed Hadair, thank you very much for coming Thanks on Thanks so the much show. for having me. Yeah, my pleasure.